don't know where the pastor went to. He's kind of skipping on to Sunday school. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> oh, and there's the, there's the head deacon, too. So that's, that makes sense there. we gotta got to wait for the church leadership to get Sunday school started. So, no, just teasing. Good morning. Um, I, was, I was talking to, I think, Abigail here, that uh, there's, there's stories in the Bible you, you, you love teaching, like, you know, David and Goliath is a neat story. You love that. And, or, you know, Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. That's a fun story. Uh, then you get the stories where you just go, I wish we didn't have to teach this one. And that, that's where we're at this week. This is, this is not one of those fun stories that you want to teach. But it's in the Bible. God put it there. Um, it's for us to know, it's for us to learn from, and we're going to teach it and um, look at it. At the very least, we're going to see the depravity of man and try to learn some lessons from uh, what went on here. So so 2 Samuel 13 is where we're at, um, and we're going to dig in here this morning. Let's go ahead and pray. Um, uh, Let's have, uh, Jonathan, will you pray for us? Amen. So 2 Samuel 13, Amnon and Tam, Tamar. Um, if you know the story, you know why we, I'm not looking forward to teaching this morning, but um, not that I'm not looking forward to teaching, I'm excited to teach, but it's not a fun story to teach. So uh, let's just go ahead and start looking at this, and who would like to read first? Miriam, go ahead. So number one here, I have Amnon desires his sister Tamar. Now let's look at these people, David's children. Uh, the first uh, two that we see here are by uh, Maaka, uh, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. And Geshur is a place in Syria. Um, we see uh, this description of Maaka show up in Second uh, Samuel three three. Uh, the two children here are Absalom and Tamar. Uh, so this is one of David's wives. This is one of his later wives. Uh, she married David after he came to Jerusalem. And then by Ahinoam um, is Amnon, and this is actually David's firstborn son. And so these are the three children that we're going to see in this story this morning. Um, and then I have a letter B here, Amnon, and I have in quotes, loved Tamar, because I think it depends on how you want to define love. If you want to use a biblical definition of love, I think we'll see from the story, he didn't biblically love her. Um, if you want to define it as a lustful feeling, then I think you can maybe use the term love, because that's really what it's going to end up being in the story. And so even though the, the Bible translators translated this love, and it's probably um, a, a good translation of the Hebrew word. It's not really a love that he shows for his sister in the story. So I'm going to use quotes here because I don't want to mislead and say that he really had any real love for her because I don't think he did. So anyways, um, it says he loved Tamar. He loved her so much that he became sick. Um, 
because she was a virgin, and probably the biggest understatement of the story so far is that it was improper for Amon to do anything to her. Well, duh, it was improper for him to do anything to her. It's his sister. Um, yes, it's improper. Good. Uh, we're glad we settled that. So, so that's the setting of the story. So he's, he's sick for her. He desires her, and he can't do anything about it. So he's going to get some advice. Let's read verses 5 through Three, sorry, three through five this morning. Who would like to be next? Go ahead, Gabriel. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonah, son of Shimea, David's brother. Now, Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, Why are you the king's son, becoming thinner day after day? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. But Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bread and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Please let my sister Tamar come to give me food and prepare the food in my sight, that I may see it and see it from her hand. So Jonadab gives Amnon the advice here. What was that? Not good advice. Well, depends on what kind of advice he was looking for. If he was looking for advice to do what he wanted to, then it's going to be great advice. If he's looking for godly advice, you're right, not good advice. Um, so Jonadab, he's the son of David's brother. Uh, in this passage, he calls him Shemia. Um, this is uh, Shema from 1 Samuel 16.9 and 17.3, who was one of David's brothers. Um, so this is Amnon's cousin. Uh, so, so his friend is his cousin, um, David's nephew. Um, this, uh, he is called a crafty man. This is literally the term that's used in the Hebrew is the word for wise. Um, again, it depends on what kind of wisdom you're looking for. If you're looking for godly wisdom, he's not giving him godly wisdom, but he's giving him wise wisdom and ha- saying, how I want to do something. He's saying, well, here's the way you do it. So it's wisdom in a sense, but it's not the wisdom of God. It's the wisdom of man here. So he's wise in a sense. He knows how to help Amnon figure out what he wants to do. It's just not the right thing to do. Uh, so his question here is, why are you sick, basically? He, he sees him. He, uh, apparently Amnon's not eating. He's becoming gaunt. He's becoming thin. Uh, he's becoming ill-looking. And he asks the question, why are you sick, basically is what his question is. Namnon's answer, I, again, love in quotation marks, I love Tamar. Um, so Jonadab gives his plan. He says, you lie down and pretend to be ill. Well, he's already ill, right, because he's already sick and gaunt and not feeling well. But you lie down and pretend to be even more ill. Um, and then when your father comes to see you, then you ask for Tamar, and I spelled that wrong, to, be, to prepare food and serve it to you. And then I have... Point number four, because um, he doesn't say it in this passage, but you can see where this is going, right? Um, so that's his plan. You get Tamar to come to your house and serve you food, and then you can have your way with her. So that's his plan. Now, Amnon likes his plan. We'll see in just a second, because that's what he does. Verses 6 through 10. Who would like to? I'm not handing out the candy, dude. <laughs> you people are going, you're cheating me out of candy. So if you want to pass it back to Miriam to start. Sorry, we give candy to the readers. It's a bribe. 
Lemuel. Yeah, Lemuel was waiting to see if the candy was actually going like, to get off my table here before he raised his hand. He's like, he's not eating out the candy. I'm not going to read today. No, go ahead, Lemuel. Then Haman lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came, Haman said to the king, Please let Tamar, the sister, come and make a couple of cakes for me that I may eat from her hand. They sent home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Haman's house and prepare food for him. Tamar, went to her brother Eamon's house and was laying down. Then she took flour and kneaded it, made cakes inside, and baked the cakes. And she took a pan and placed them out before him, but he refused to eat. Said, Have everyone go out from me, and they all went out from him. But Eamon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the bedroom. So Amnon gets Tamar to make him food. So his plan begins here. And so Amnon went home. He pretended to be ill. The king came. Now, why did the king come? Well, this is his firstborn. Um, so it's probably very important that the king see what's going on with him. Why is he ill? And so Amnon makes his request to request that Tamar to come make cakes in his sight that he may eat from her hand. Um, David apparently has no problem with this, so he sends for her. So Tamar goes to Amnon. She makes the cakes from scratch. Um, I I guess you don't go get a package of cakes from the store. That's what you have to do then. Um, And she bakes it in front of him. And now, now here's where I think ladies... Red flags should be going up. So if you're ever in weird situations, if red flags go up, get out of the situation, okay? Common sense. Use some common sense here. Anon says everyone away. Maybe, maybe Tamar at this point should have thought maybe something weird is going on, that he's sending everybody out. Um, I don't know if she did or didn't, but um, and maybe she felt like the king commanded her to do this. She needs to stay. Uh, she may have felt bound by the situation, but the red flag, Anon says everyone away. And then red flag number two, Amnon requests the food be brought to his bedroom. Red flag number two, probably not a good idea. So, but Tamar follows him and brings the food to his bedroom. So, so again, um, you know, if you're in situations that doesn't seem right, uh, my advice to you is get out of that situation because it's probably not right if it doesn't seem right. Um, God's given us common sense. Sometimes we need to use that common sense. Get out of those situations. Um, I don't know if Tamar, again, I don't know if because she's commanded by the king if she felt like she even got out of the situation, but a couple of red flags there probably should have gone off in her head and said, this doesn't seem like the best situation for me to be in. So um, I'm not saying it's her fault that this happened, but I'm just saying that, that there's some red flags going up here. Uh, verses 11 through 14. Who would like to read next? Ted, go ahead. Now when she had brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come lie with me, my sister. And she returned him. And she answered him, No, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing. 
So number four here, Amnon rapes Tamar. Now for the younger classes that are listening, um, maybe you don't want to use this word with your younger kids. Um, and I'm not sure what word you put in there. If you're using the notes, this is probably mainly for Thomas listening. I'm talking to the recording right now. So you guys in the class, you think I'm just talking to nobody. I'm talking to the recording. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you, Thomas, and we'll think of a, maybe a different word that so you don't have to do with it. But uh, this is what happens. Amnon rapes Tamar. So Amnon grabs Tamar as she brought the food, and he tells her to lie with him. Now, she makes four arguments to try to stop him from doing this. The first one is she says, number one, it's a disgraceful thing. Don't do this. It's a disgraceful thing. Um, Leviticus 18.11. We actually, on, if you go to the third sheet on your uh, notes, Leviticus 18.11 is in your notes, uh, about two-thirds of the way down on the third sheet. Um, it says, The nakedness of your father's wife, daughter, begotten by your father, she's your sister. You shall not uncover your nakedness. So this is in the law. This is what Moses gave to Israel. And she's arguing it's a disgraceful thing. She says, no, brother, don't, do not force me, for no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. So she's saying, number one, don't do this. This is wrong. This is wrong in God's eyes. She's making an argument that this is improper for him to do. This is wrong. God doesn't want you to do this. That's her argument, number one. Number two, she makes an argument that it would be a reproach for her. And you see that when she says, and where can I take my shame? This is going to be a shameful thing for her. Don't do this because it's going to hurt me. Um, the third thing is she's going to make an argument that it's going to make Amnon be regarded as a fool. It's going to be a, a, a bad thing for him. She says, as for you, you would be like one of the fools in Israel. Everybody's going to see you as being a fool for doing this. And then her fourth argument, and, and this one's an interesting one, um, she says, now therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold you from me. Her argument kind of here is allow the king to allow, allow them to get married. Now, I'm not sure that she really believes this argument. I, I read a few commentaries. MacArthur seems to think that this is a legitimate argument she's married. Another commentary I read says, well, she's making this argument maybe to try to make him think this, but that she doesn't really believe this argument. And I kind of lean that way, that she's kind of making this argument because she wants to get out of the situation. Because I don't think David would allow a brother and sister to get married. I don't think he would let that happen. But she's maybe thinking desperately in the situation, if I make this argument, maybe he'll let me go thinking that, well, I can get this legitimately in a legal way. Okay, I'll let her go, and then we can get this arranged, and then she can get herself out of the situation. So I think maybe that's why she's trying to make this argument. That's why I put a question mark here. Um, I, I don't know for sure if she believes this argument or not. I tend to think that she probably is just desperately making some kind of argument that, please let me go, we can make this work for real, instead of you doing this disgraceful thing right now. But I don't know if she actually believes that argument. But anyway, she makes these four arguments, and de definitely what we would see, say is the first one, that you know, God commands us not to do this. This is wrong in God's eyes. That's an extremely strong argument, Right? She knows that it's a disgraceful thing, that she knows that he shouldn't be doing this. It's wrong. Um, she understands that it's going to bring shame to her. That's, that's a good argument, and that Amnon's going to be a fool. So at least those three arguments are very good arguments that she makes. 
Now, Amnon, he's blinded by his loss, so he refuses to listen to it. He just wants what he wants at this time. Who cares what the consequences are? And oftentimes when we're desiring sin, that's kind of what we think. A lot of times when we sin, we know that our sin is wrong, and we say, but I don't care what the consequences are. I don't care that it's right or wrong. I'm just going to do this. And that's how sin affects us. And we need to stop and say, wait a second, this is wrong in God's eyes. This is a disgraceful thing for me to do. I shouldn't be doing this. Wait a second, this is going to be something that's a reproach to me. This is something that's going to affect me in the wrong way. Wait a second, who else is this going to affect wrongly? Who else is this going to hurt? And we need to consider the consequences of our sin. And so the kind of arguments that she goes through here are, are, are kind of good things for us to think about as we're dealing with temptation with sin, that we say, well, first of all, what does God say about this? And that should stop us right there. Once we start looking at what God says about our sin and say, wait a second, no, God says this is wrong, that should stop us there. But then we can think of some of those other arguments too and say, okay, wait a second, no, this is wrong, this is not going to be good for me, this is not going to be good for others around me. I need to stop and do what's right. And Amnon at that point just said, you know, you're right. What am I thinking? I'm doing the wrong thing. But he didn't do that. He refused to listen to her. And so he forces her to lay with him. And then let's look at the consequences of 2 Samuel 13, verses 15 through 17. Who would like to read next? Not a lot of readers this morning. Okay, Marie, go ahead. So Amnon sends Tamar away. And here Amnon no longer, again, loved in quotation marks, loved her, but now hated her. In fact, the Bible says he hated her. The hatred which he hated her was greater than the love which he loved her. So his feelings of hatred were even stronger than that, that strength of what he desired her. And so he sends her away. And Tamar, again, begs him not to do this. Again, don't do this. What, what you're doing now is worse than even what you did before, and you can't imagine that. Um, but a lot, of, a lot of the commentaries I've read said what, what's going on here is that by sending her away, it's making her look like that she was the one who, who maybe seduced him and that he's sending her away in disgrace. And so she's being disgraced more by what, what he did here because it makes it look like the fault is on her. And she's like, you can't do this to me. You, you violated me. Now you're sending away making it look like it's my fault. And so uh, uh, it's, it's really kind of placing the blame on her instead of on where it really belongs. Um, and so that's what she's saying here. But Amnon, again, still would not listen. So he commands her to put out, and then he locks the door behind her. So you're, you're leaving, and I'm not letting you back in. Uh, he's, he's determined on this and just acting, behaving very wickedly. So Amnon says her way. Well, let's see what happens next. So verses 18 through 22. Who's our next reader? Abigail, go ahead.
now close your teeth, my sister. Teeth to your brother. Do not take this thing to heart. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. But, they, but when King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. And Absalom spoke to his brother Amnon neither good nor bad. So we see that uh, Tamar mourns, and then we see how David and Absalom react to this. It's very interesting how both of them react. So Tamar changes her clothes. She had a robe of many colors. Now, uh, there's something in the language here that the robe of many colors is also described as a long-sleeved robe. Um, And the idea seems to be that, as a virgin, that she would wear a very modest robe that covered her, um, long-sleeved, you know, just um, didn't reveal anything. And then as she went out, the reason why, part of the reason why she tore that is because she was no longer a virgin, so she she would rip apart this robe and it would show that something happened, which is why Absalom would see this and understand that something went on here. Um, But she went from this robe of many colors, she tore it, and she put ashes on her head, and she went away crying bitterly because of what happened. So Absalom sees this, and Absalom asks immediately about Amnon. So he has some inkling of what's going on. Um, I assume he probably knew where she went. And now that she's coming back from there, he's kind of putting two and two together. Um, he tries to comfort her, and I, I think part of this, too, he tells her that uh, do not take this thing to heart. He's also telling her not to do anything about it because I think he's already devising a plan of what he's going to do, um, that he's going to deal with the situation in his own way. And so he's telling her not to, not to do anything about it. He's going to take care of it. Um, Tamar then remains in Absalom's house, and it says she's desolate, and this desolate could mean that she remained unmarried and childless uh, because of what happened. And... So that could have been a result of what happened here. Uh, David's reaction, the, the Bible here says he was very angry. Well, that's great, David. You were very angry, but what did you do? Well, it looks like David did probably nothing other than be very angry about it. Um, the Septuagint, that's that LXX, um, that it adds, and the Septuagint, again, is not necessarily inspired, but it adds, he did not trouble the spirit of Amnon, his son, because he loved him, for he was his firstborn. So maybe there was something about, you know, David didn't want to do anything because this is his firstborn son. He, he loved his son, too, and so while he was angry at him, he still was his father and decided to hold off doing anything. Now, Leviticus 20 there, 17, says, says that if a man takes his sister, his father's daughter, or his mother's daughter, and sees her nakedness, and she sees his nakedness, it is a wicked thing, and they shall be cut off in the sight of their people. He has uncovered his sister's nakedness, he shall bear his guilt. And the idea of being cut off here um, could carry the idea of even being put to death. So the idea of being cut off from the people could be, there could be a death penalty uh, because of this. And so David really had a responsibility to do something about this as the king, and he didn't do anything. He just was angry. So that was David's reaction. Absalom's reaction, he didn't speak to Amnon. He, he ignored him. He didn't speak good or bad to him. But he was, he was angry. He hated Amnon and, uh, because of what he did to Tamar. And, and he's, he's hatching, devising his plan because he's not forgetting about it. 
he's not just ignoring it, but he, he has a plan. And so we're going to see what his plan is, verses 23 through 27. Nathan, you're back and you want to read already. All right, great. And it came to pass, after two full years, that Absalom had sheep shears in Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim. So Absalom invited all the king's sons. Then Absalom came to the king and said, Kindly note, your servant has sheep shears. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go now, lest we be a burden to you. Then he urged him, but he would not go, and he blessed him. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But Absalom urged him, so he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. So Absalom invites, Absalom invites Amnon to a feast. And you're saying, how did I get a feast out of that? Well, I read ahead. (laughs) So it came to pass after two full years. This is two years later. Absalom has a plan, and he's patient with his plan. He's not not in a hurry to to take care of things. He's going to work it out. But there's a sheep-shearing festival. So this is probably like one of those things where we had a good year. Our sheep produced lots of wool, and... Uh, we, we've, we've made a lot of wool for us, and we're going to have a festival. We're going to have a party to celebrate, like one of those end-of-year parties when your business does good and your boss invites you over to his house, and you have an end-of-year party to celebrate your, your profitable year. And so Absalom says, we, our sheep did good this year. We're going to invite everybody over. Uh, and they, they're going to have it at Baal Hazor, a city. It's a city in Benjamin. It's 12 miles northeast of Jerusalem. So it's up near Ephraim, so it's probably up in this area right here. Um, so Absalom invites the king's sons. Um, he also invites David and his servants. Now David declines, and David's reasons he gives is he doesn't want to be a burden on Absalom. Now David is the king. He has a large household, a large bunch of servants. It probably would be a burden. Um, and so David's in, so David probably is thinking correctly here that you don't have to provide a lot for us. We don't need to come. Absalom urges David. He, he begs him, please come. Uh, David still refuses, but he blesses Absalom and says, you go, enjoy your time, have fun, have a good time, may it go well with you, blah, 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 whatever. You know, whatever he blesses him with, he blesses him. You know, just have your festival, enjoy it. So Absalom asks Amnon to go. Now, he already invited the king's sons, right? That, that, that showed up in... Uh, um, in verse 23 there, at the end of verse 23, he invited all the king's sons. So now why is he inviting Amnon? He already invited the king's sons. Amnon's one of the sons, right? Well, the idea may be he, may, let Amnon go in your place then. If you're not going to go, let your firstborn come as your representative, as your, your, your uh, um, ambassador. Um, David, David is a little suspicious. Why should he go with you? Why Why him? Hmm? Uh, but Absalom urges, he insists, oh, just send him. I don't know what arguments he makes. He probably makes some arguments. And David finally says, okay, fine, fine. Let him go. So Absalom brings all the king's sons 
and Amnon in particular, and they're going to this festival, this feast that they're going to have. And then Absalom reveals his plan, verse 28 and 29. Go ahead, Jonathan. Now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Watch now, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not be afraid. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom commanded. And all the king's sons arose and got him to the So Absalom kills Amnon. It's his revenge. So Absalom commands his servants to kill Amnon. And when he is drunk, that's what he means there by he's married with wine. Wait until he's drunk. It's a good time because he'll have a hard time defending himself. When I command you to do it, then do it. Then he commands them, don't be afraid. It's okay. Just go ahead and do it. And then he has this phrase, have I not commanded you? Now here's the idea of that. He's saying... I'm taking responsibility for this. This is me. You're going to do it, but it's my authority. I'm the one responsible for this. I'm the one commanding you. You do it because I told you to. I'll take full responsibility for what's happening here. You're acting under my authority. So he's he's saying he's responsible for this. And then he encourages them to be courageous and valiant. Be courageous and valiant and kill the drunk guy who can't defend himself. Um, that's what he tells them to do. So they do it. They kill Amnon, and the other king's sons, they get on their mules and flee. Um, I think so. Yeah. Absalom's killing people. Uh, this isn't so much of a fun party anymore. We're not you know, exchanging our Christmas gifts and um, you know, celebrating uh, sheep shearing anymore. Now we're killing people. It's time to get out of here. So they, they all take off, and I don't blame them, actually. They're, they're done with this. Bye-bye. We're leaving. This is not the party we were promised. Uh, let's see what happens next. Verses 30 through 33. Josiah, go ahead. And it came to pass that while they were on the way, the news came to David, saying, Absalom killed all the king's sons, and not one of them is left. So the king arose and tore his garments, and lay on the ground, and all his servants stood by with their clothes on. Then Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother, answered and said, Did not my lord suppose that killed all the young men, the king's sons, or only Amnon is dead? For by the command of Absalom, which has been determined from the day that he So David hears of Amnon's death. So his first report, though, David hears that all the king's sons are dead. Oh, no, they all died. And the king grieves. He tears his clothes. He lays on the ground. And his servants, they're also, they're, they're like, our king's grieving. All of his sons are dead. We, we better grieve, too. So they're, they're all they're like, this is awful. The, the kingdom's in ruin. All the sons are dead. And look who stands up. Our good friend Jonadab. And he says, uh, no, 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 hold on, hold on a second. They're not all dead. It's just Amnon. How does he know that only Amnon's dead? That's a question, huh? Well, isn't he the guy who gave Amnon the advice in the first place? So he's, he's showing that he doesn't have a lot of character here because now he seems to be on Absalom's side a little bit. At least he knows Absalom's plans. He didn't really help his friend Amnon a whole lot by telling him, hey, by the way, Absalom's going to try to kill you if you go there, and you might want to stay home. 
Um, you know, th- there's some shady stuff going on here with this Jonadab guy. He doesn't seem to be a very good friend to Amnon, at least at any rate, or, or anybody really, yeah. Um, so whatever, whatever he's doing here is, is not very upright. Um, now, Amnon's dead. Now, I put these verses in here, Leviticus 18, because Amnon probably should have been dead again. We talked about in Leviticus 20 that, um, that uh, he should have been cut off from his people, which probably means he should have been killed. Leviticus 18.11 says, The nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, begotten by your father, she is your sister. You shall not uncover her nakedness. And then verse 29, later it says, Whoever commits any of these abominations, and it lists a whole bunch more in between there, um, that person who commits them shall be cut off from among their people. So again, in, in verse uh, chapter 18 and chapter 20 again, you know, Amnon probably should have died for what he did. But it should have been in a judicial way. It should have been before the king being judged before the king. And there should have been a, a say that, you know, you did wrong. This is your crime. This is the punishment. You should be executed for your crime. David didn't do that. It shouldn't have been Absalom going off rogue and enacting vengeance on him. That wasn't his place to do that. And so while Amnon probably got what he deserved here, it wasn't in the right manner. It wasn't the way God prescribed that justice would be carried out by God's representative who should have been the one doing it. It should have been David. But anyway, so that's why I put those verses in there, because Amnon probably did get what he probably deserved, but not in the right manner here. But Absalom killed him. This is what Jonah is saying. Because of what happened to Tamar, you know, this whole situation, Absalom took it into his own hands. So David, don't be grieved over what happened. It's only Amnon who's dead. It's only him. <laughs> just, just, just Amnon. It's not everybody. Don't worry. You know, Jonadab is, is, yeah, okay. So, so he tries to comfort David a little bit. Just one guy. Is that all your sons? Verses 34 through 39. Joanna. So Absalom fled. And again, Absalom flees, I guess I have, but you can say Absalom fled too. That works. Um, the king's son returns. So the watchman spots him first. He confirms Jonadab's tale. Oh, look, here they come. It's your sons. And Jonadab announces it. The watchman spots him. Jonadab says, look, here, your sons are coming. Just as I said, so it is. I knew it. So you can trust me. Um, so while this is going on, Absalom, he goes to Geshur, which is in Syria again. Uh, he goes there for three years to his grandfather, Talmai, uh, the king of Geshur. And during this time, David mourns for Absalom. And it says that David longed to go to him. Um, and it seems like just from the way this is written here, it, it seems like maybe David went to, wanted to go to him to reconcile with him 
Um, just because of how it says that he had been comforted concerning Amnon because he was dead. Maybe because, you know, David, again, maybe because of his fatherly thing, he, he didn't, couldn't carry out the punishment, but now that it's carried out, he feels relieved that it's taken care of in his mind. And maybe David, too, you know, thinking back to what happened with the end of the tale with Bathsheba, where God said there would be conflict in his house, maybe he thinks that it's over now. Maybe he thinks, oh, this is what God meant. You know, there's conflict, my son's going to die. Okay, we're, we're good now. Not realizing that there's more to come yet. So may, maybe there's some of that going on. I don't know. But, but he, he seems to be comforted, but he wants to bring his son back. And later on in the story with David and Absalom, we see that even after Absalom usurps his throne and eventually is killed, and I'm, I'm giving you spoiler stuff here, so I'm sorry, um, David still mourns for him afterwards that, that he, he died, even though he was trying to kill David during that time. So David still loves his son, even despite everything that goes on. So there seems to be, you know, David maybe longed to go back to bring him back and say, you know, I understand why you did it. You don't have to flee. You don't have to go into exile because of this, because I understand why. I mean, that's what he wanted to do, but being the king, he maybe couldn't do that. So, a couple of takeaways. I have two on the sheet, and I have one more I thought of this morning as I was walking into the church that I want to share. I think it's kind of important, but the two I have here. So, why did this happen in David's house? Other than, you know, this is the result of God punishing David for his sin, but why did this happen in David's house? Why did one of his sons rape his sister and the other one murder him? Um, that hasn't happened in my house yet. Hopefully it doesn't. Um, here's some thoughts. David had multiple wives who lived in competition for David's affections. Again, David wasn't supposed to. This was in the law that the kings were not supposed to multiply wives to themselves. Moses spelled that out. David ignored that. David himself committed adultery with another man's wife, then murdered him, then married his widow. Okay? David did not model a pure and righteous life when it came to the marriage relationship to his children. You know, so who are his children look who are his children looking to as far as how to treat women, how to have a marriage relationship? Well, what, what's daddy doing? Oh, daddy has 20 wives and when he wants a woman, he goes and takes her and then kills her husband and then marries her. Hmm. So I put down that here. People look to us as examples, but especially our children. And if you are young people, because I know there's a lot of you in here that don't have children yet, um, this is a good reminder for the future. Someday you might be married and you might have children. So just to think about. So what kind of life are you going to model for them? You know, I, I don't think, even though we know David's a man after God's own heart and we see a lot of good characteristics about David, obviously his home life was not one of those areas which he modeled well and did the right things, and, and lived rightly before God. And his children were not in that ideal or even right situation. And what do we expect then if David's not living right in the way he lives with his wives, with uh, his relationship with other women? What do we expect his children to do? He's not modeling that correctly. So we need to be careful the way we live because people are looking at us as an example. And the Bible talks about that as Christians, that we are examples. We're to follow Christ, and people are to follow godly examples, and we are to be that godly example. 
David didn't live as a good example to his children. I want to read something. I almost forgot. Um, this is a commentary on the Old Testament by Kylan Delich, my one of my favorite German commentators. <laughs> um, this is what they, uh, their introduction to this chapter, this is what they write. The judgments threatened to King David in consequence of his sin with Bathsheba soon began to fall upon him and upon his house and were brought about by sins and crimes on the part of his own sons for which David himself was to blame, partly because of his own indulgences and want of discipline and partly because of the bad example that he had set them. You see, I want to read that again. Partly because of his own indulgence and want of discipline and partly of the bad example that he had set them. So what is this? Having grown up without a strict paternal discipline, simply under the care of their different mothers who were jealous of one another, his sons fancied that they might gratify their own fleshly lusts and carry out their own ambitious plans. And from, there, from this there arose a series of crimes which nearly cost his, the king his life and throne. Amnon, David's eldest son, led the way with his forceful violation of his stepsister Tamar. Crime was avenged by his own brother, her own brother Absalom, who treacherously assassinated Amnon, in consequence of which he was obliged to flee Geshur to take refuge with his father-in-law. So they're, um, they're saying that part of the blame has to lie with David because he couldn't control his own lusts, his own indulgences, and his own life. And he, he had his children growing up in a, a situation where his wives were constantly competing for his attention and his love. And uh, you know, his children had to grow up in that, that environment. If he would have followed God's law and done what God wanted him to, one man, one woman, there wouldn't be this situation. If he would have lived um, content with his wife and not chased after Bathsheba, you know, there wouldn't be this sin, and, and his children wouldn't have had this kind of influence in their life. And so um, you know, I think we need to be careful about that. So that's my first one. Now, on the other side of the coin here, while David's home life was not the best model for Amnon and Absalom, both of these men were responsible for their own decisions. We cannot blame our environment, our upbringing, or our circumstances for our sinful choices. We don't get to do that. We will stand before God and give account of what we have done in the body. 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us that. Each person must choose to do what is right or what is wrong, no matter who they are and what their background or life situation is. You have that choice. You can choose what's right or what's wrong, and it's your choice. Your parents didn't make you do it. Your school environment didn't make you do it. Society didn't make you do that. You have the choice of, to, of choosing what is right or what is wrong. And especially for those of you who know God's word, who have been taught God's word, who have studied God's word, you have a responsibility to do what God tells you to do. And nobody else is responsible for that choice in your life. You need to choose and I encourage you to choose to do what God wants you to do. And Amnon could say, well, look at, look at my home environment. You know, my father has all these wives. He sinned with Bathsheba. I know all about this. It's terrible. I, I couldn't help but do it. No, you could help but do it. You could know it's right. Even in the act, Tamar was, was telling you, don't do this thing. It's a despicable thing. It's wrong. Don't do it. And he had a chance to turn back and do what's right, and he didn't. Absalom could have dealt with this in a right way. He could have gone to the king and said, this is a crime against my sister. You need to do something that's king. You need to punish Amnon. You need to bring him to justice. Instead, he took matters in his own hands. So they were responsible for their own choices, what they did. 
and they're responsible before God for their choices. We're all responsible before God for our choices. So that's number two. Um, number three, this is what I was thinking about on the way in, so I, I didn't have time to write it down, obviously, because everything was printed out. And Abigail, I'm going to use you as an example. Sorry, I didn't tell you this ahead of time. Um, we were getting out of our van this morning, and I had uh, Nathan was driving. I was riding the passenger seat because I have older kids now, so I don't have to drive anymore, and I like that. I like being chauffeured around, so I do that. Um, and Abigail was in the van, and who else was in there? Caleb, Levi, Miriam, and Eliana, right? So I got out of the van, and we, had, we have some food that we brought. We have our instruments. I have a guitar. Nathan has a mandolin. So we're, Nathan and I are in the back. We're getting stuff out of the car. Nathan grabs the food. Somebody grabbed the mandolin. I grabbed my guitar, my bag, and we're getting stuff out, and the kids are helping us grab stuff. And they're all walking to church. And I start walking away from the van. I turn around. I notice Abigail's still getting stuff out of the car. Well, everybody else is halfway to the church and stuff. And I stop, and I think you know what, I don't want to leave Abigail out here by the car by herself while we all head into the church. So I stopped and I waited until Abigail got her stuff out of the car, got the car door closed and started coming towards the church. Because as a man and as a father, my responsibility is to protect my daughter. I didn't want anything to happen to her. Now, Sunday morning, I don't know if anything's going to happen to her. I don't even know if anybody else is awake in the neighborhood on Sunday morning, honestly. But still my responsibility as a father, as a man, protect her, okay? David sent Tamar into the lion's den here. Now, he, I don't know that he knew that this was going to happen, but it's David's responsibility to protect his daughter. And David failed to do that, I think. And so, as men, as fathers as brothers even, look around at your daughters, your sisters, the, the women around you. You have a responsibility from God to protect these women. So take the time, treat them right, treat them respectively, protect them, guard them. And, and you know, not, not just even physical things, spiritual things, treat them the right way. Um, don't put yourself in situations where things can happen. Do the right thing. And so that's just something that came up into my mind. I haven't really fleshed it out right to have a whole paragraph explaining it a little bit better. But you understand what I'm saying? It's just God gave us that position as men that we ought to be the protectors of women. And we should be doing that, and we should be faithful to do that, and we ought to take that seriously. So that's my soapbox I'm, I'm standing on for my third point. Um, any thoughts or questions or comments? Okay, well, that's good. And we're done pretty quick. I was actually, I'm actually surprised. So, well, let's close in prayer, and I'll let you all free to roam about like God's sheep of his hand, I guess. I tried, I've tried to apply a little stuff. Okay, so, uh, Josiah, since you came in late and you missed so much, I'm going to let you pray if you close us. <laughs>
Amen.